right. Hey, it is great to be with you guys. You guys doing well? It's Palm Sunday. Uh, glad to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Luke Lamas. If we've never uh, met, um, I more recently became an elder here at Calvary Slow. I think this is the first time I'm teaching or preaching after becoming an elder, so I feel a little bit more pressure uh, in some ways this morning. But I've been a part of the church for, you know, probably close to 20 years now for a long time and just love our church family. And there's been a number of new people come in, so it's been great to meet some of you guys. And uh, yeah, just excited for this morning. Like I said, I was a little nervous this morning, and then uh, my two boys, Isaac and Caleb, four, uh, five and four, just prayed for me in the back with my wife. So I'm like ready to go. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling better. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's just good to be with you guys. And we're continuing our series uh, in Jesus' final words uh, from the cross. And so we're actually looking at the last, uh, last statement of Jesus from the cross this morning. And so I'm going to um, just read the passage. If, uh, if you don't mind, if you can stand for the reading of this, of the word, we will read this and then we'll um, pray and, and begin. So it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances... And the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. You can be seated. Um, Lord God, we just uh, come come to you this morning uh, with anticipation, Lord, that you would you would meet us here, that you would teach us from your word. I just thank you for everyone who's here this morning, Lord. I believe you have them here in this place for a reason, and we want to encounter you, Lord. And we just thank you for your great sacrifice for us. Um, as we anticipate Easter coming up and Good, Good Friday and um, just the Passion Week, Lord, Palm Sunday this morning, Lord, we just, we remember, we reflect back and we think about your great sacrifice and all that you endured and all that you accomplished on our behalf, Lord, and for your glory. And so this morning, as we look at this passage of what it means that you committed your spirit into your Father's hands, we just pray that you would, um, yeah, reveal your word to us, help us to grow in what it means to live our lives and surrender to you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Okay, so uh, again, it's in, I may not have said this, Luke 23, 44 through 49. We've got some slides, so hopefully that will help us uh, this morning. And we're going we're gonna to jump into this, uh, this passage. Um, of, again, in context, you know, there's a lot that was happening uh, leading up to this. So, um, again, I, I know maybe some new people are here, or maybe some of you. Uh, raise your hand if you've been to some, at least one of the other messages in this series. Anybody been here for, okay, for a number of them? Some of you, maybe it's your, your first time, or you missed a couple of them. So just kind of by a little bit way of review, um, as we think about Jesus' life, of course, you know, this is the end of his three-year public ministry as a, a traveling preacher, uh, teacher, one who is healing and doing all of these miracles. Um, it's, it's the end of his 30-year life of complete obedience to God the Father, perfect adherence to the law, which is, which is significant, which is important. And as he, you know, is now coming to uh, the, the uh, end of, of his life, it's, it's the culmination of the Passion Week, 
Um, I was going to just share a couple of these things, but I think I might do this just by call and response. So I'm going to ask you guys, actually, if you think back uh, or if you think about the Passion Week and some of the events that unfolded from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way up Thursday leading up to, to Friday when he's on the cross, um, give you a few seconds to think about it. What are some of the, the events that uh, maybe we can do something in chronology, maybe just as what comes to mind. What were some of the events that unfolded in this Passion Week that you remember that you think about? You can raise your hand or just sh- shout them out. What are some of the things that took place in the Passion Week? Some of these historical events that unfolded. Hey, and that's fitting because today is Palm Sunday, right? So the triumphal entry where Jesus is, is coming in on a donkey, right, from Bethany. And he's coming down and these people are worshiping him and praising him. Uh, thinking, you know, anticipating him as the Messiah, thinking that he was a kingly Messiah. Okay, what else? The cleansing of the temple. Yes. So Jesus comes in. He sees people selling goods and all this stuff in the temple. It's supposed to be a house of, of prayer. He clears the temple, probably disrupted uh, some people, but he clears the temple. He, he rebukes uh, some of the religious leaders. Okay, what else happens in the Passion Week? Okay, so, so Passover, we had a Seder dinner here, right? Anybody make it to the Seder dinner? My, our, we came to that, which was great. And we learned about the festivals and the feasts, but the Passover dinner was happening. And so he celebrates the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, prior to that, on Wednesday, we have the probably least amount of information, but we know that Jesus, uh, a woman came with the alabaster jar and poured oil, anointed his head and his, his feet with oil uh, happened. And so, yeah, we get to the, the Passover where Jesus is having this last supper uh, with his disciples. He washes their feet, right? He, he institutes through the Seder meal. He shows them about his body that would be broken, his blood that would be shed, pointing about to, to, the, to the reality that he would be uh, the, the Passover lamb, right? And then, as we know, he's betrayed by Judas. And then what happens? Or I guess before he was betrayed, what happens? They, they go up into the, the Garden of Gethsemane, Right? And they're, 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 Jesus is praying, maybe like some of us, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen this morning. But what happened with the disciples while they're there in the garden? They fell asleep. And Jesus is, knows what is coming. Remember, all of these events that we're going to talk about this morning, these were premeditated. These were foretold. These were planned out in advance. In many ways, all of what Jesus was doing was a fulfillment of all of these messianic prophecies in these scriptures. And Jesus knew in his close relationship with the Father... He was fully man, but he was also God, and he knew what was going to unfold. And he goes up into the garden, and he's praying, right? He says, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, let your will be done. And the disciples, just kind of another day, yeah, okay, we should pray, you know, and they're, they're falling asleep. How many of us have done that? They were, they were weak. But then, you know, the betrayal happens. He gets arrested. He's before Pontius Pilate in the morning, uh, and then... He is taken across by 9 a.m. He's put up on the cross. He's nailed to the cross. And, and that brings us to kind of where we've been at in our series. As Jesus is on the cross suffering, he's been mocked. He's been beaten. He's been tortured, really, the kind of thorns on his head. He's in this place of just excruciating pain where he's now had nails through his wrists and his feet. And he's, he's, he's suffering on the cross. And in all of that torment and all of that um, pain, you know, as we see, as, as we kind of enter in our series on the words from the cross, the first thing he says, you know, he's thinking of the other. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, real quick, when he says, Father, forgive them, just a quick idea we've talked about in the messages about who was there around Jesus. And 
I don't know if I had really realized this before I was doing more of this study, but if you think back, Jesus before um, the Passion Week, not too long before, he had healed Lazarus. You guys remember the story, of, not healed, but re- uh, rose from the dead. He had raised Lazarus. Remember that story? And after that event where Jesus raises Lazarus, many people who were following Jesus at this point, they had heard of his healings, they had all this stuff. They probably had some doubts or questions. Is this guy the Messiah? We've heard these things. After he rose Lazarus from the dead, many people believed, it said, that he was the Messiah. And they begin to follow Jesus. Those are many of the people that would have been there on Palm Sunday laying down the branches. And they would have anticipated that he was the, the king who was going to come to save them, to redeem them. Um, real quick, I wanted to uh, read this. It says in, in Mark eleven nine through 10, it says, They were saying, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The coming kingdom of our father David. So they were anticipating that Jesus was the Messiah. That he was this, this king who was going to overthrow the Romans finally. And they had seen this miracle and they were fully convinced. And then Jesus gets arrested. And then he gets mocked. And they see him being mocked by the Romans. Not defeating the Romans. They see him being now crucified by the Romans. And many of them may, might have been there with the Pharisees saying this is not who we thought he was. Crucify him, crucify him. They had had this, this huge shift in their perspective. They had been disappointed in who they thought Jesus would have been. Does that make sense? Those are some of the people that would have been around Jesus at that time. And so then he's on the cross. He's being mocked. Eventually, one of the thieves, you know, says, Lord, remember me. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. We looked at that. He has this really intimate, John gives us this intimate insight into Jesus' words to his mother, right? He says, uh, woman, behold your son, son, your mother, as he entrusts the care of his mom over to uh, the apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so we see all of these, you know, words from the cross, these things that are unfolding, and Jesus in this really this excruciating place. But not only was he um, just suffering the pain of being on the cross, but he also knew that one of the things that he was accomplishing on the cross was bearing the consequence for sin, for all, for all of humanity, for all those who would believe in him. You know, we talked about, we talked about, mentioned earlier, the, the cup of God's wrath, that God's judgment for sin was going to be placed on Jesus, that he was going to have to endure that. And that was something that was going to be far uh, more difficult to bear than just the physical ailments that the thieves were going through and, and, and the physical aspects of crucifixion, which was probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest ways to die. You know, they had perfected this agonizing, prolonged pain um, that would keep people alive but suffering as a deterrent and, you know, for others from, from doing wrong and so on. It was, it, was, it was horrific, really. So that brings us to, to our passage. Jesus has been on the cross for about three hours. And it says that now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed. So a couple things with hours. Um, in, the, in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day or hour is a 12-hour day, a 12-hour night. The first hour would have been dawn. Uh, the third hour would have been about 9 a.m. The sixth hour would have been noon, so the middle of the day. And the ninth hour would have been 3 p.m. evening, about 6 o'clock. Uh, or, or dawn, you know, as the, as the sun is, is setting. So it says here that it was about the sixth hour. We know earlier that Jesus was put on the cross about the ninth hour. About three hours had lapsed. It's, it's the height of the day. It's, it's the preparation for Passover. So thousands of people would have gathered in, thousands and thousands of people would have been gathering in Jerusalem 
for the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They would have been there um, to, to have animal sacrifices and, and do this big celebration. And there would have been a lot of preparation happening that day uh, that they had to get done before end of the day, right? And the, uh, the Sabbath was about to begin Friday night. And so Jesus is, is on the cross, and it says that there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. If you think about this uh, environment at the time, up until this point, you had people mocking Jesus, laughing at him, uh, challenging him. You know, the sign, king of the Jews. Oh, yeah, if you're the king of the Jews, get yourself down. Call Elijah to come and help you. Right? And, and they're playing games or casting lots. It's, it's this, they're kind of just making this mockery of it. Just kind of, for, the, for the Jewish Roman soldiers, it was just another day doing their job. Crucifying some more bad guys to deter people from uprising against Rome. But then the, the whole mood changes. The whole thing shifts. As it says, darkness came over the land. And the environment, the tone for the whole day, everybody else's focus, all the things that were going on, would have completely changed uh, in this time. This was not just a solar eclipse or some clouds that rolled over, but a deep darkness that came over the land. It would have been actually common for, for people with the Jewish mindset or background understanding the Torah that actually darkness in some ways symbolized the presence of God. And in some ways associated with, with judgment. Um, of course, we know that God exists in inapproachable light. Jesus is the light of the world. But also, at times, God's presence would be seen or would be felt with Moses at Sinai, other places, as, as, as this darkness that would come. And this darkness comes over the land. Um, during that time, you know, there were no words from the cross from Jesus. Some teachers of the Bible or theologians would say that this is possibly the time when God's uh, full justice towards sin w- was put on Jesus. And we don't know what that might mean or exactly look like, what was happening in the spiritual realm. But darkness came over the land, and Jesus was suffering there on the cross, possibly enduring the wrath of God. God is holy, he's good, he's loving and merciful. He loved his son. And this was not something that was happening against Jesus' will. Jesus it was, says that before the foundation of the world, God, God knew, Jesus knew what he was enduring. But this was what had to take place to satisfy a holy God against sinful humanity. Jesus was made sin for us. But then also Jesus was accomplishing, fully accomplishing the righteousness for us that we couldn't accomplish on our own. Jesus endured God's wrath towards sin on the cross. His, uh, there's the idea of the great exchange. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved upon himself, that through faith we could receive the righteousness that he accomplished. In Amos 8, uh, 9 through 10, it says, And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will make it like the morning of an only sun and the end of its day like a bitter day. It's pretty specific. Right? He says, he says I'm going to end your morning. They're all, they're all excited for this feast. They're you know, laughing, making fun of Jesus. All of a sudden, this darkness comes over the land. There was an earthquake. It says rocks split. And then we get to the next portion of our... Um, well, actually, it was, it was around this time when Jesus, you know, after this had passed, where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, it's very possible that uh, Jesus is trying to direct people's attention to the Psalms and some of the Psalms that speak to him. He's actually quoting Psalm 21, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Um, we've already talked about that. I'm not going to unpack it too much. But if you look at Psalm 22, he says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my uh, clothing, they cast lots. Amazing passage in the Psalms. I encourage you to read all, all of Psalm 22, this Messianic Psalm. Right? He says, my tongue sticks to my jaws. His mouth is all dried up. You know, John uh, 19.28 says, after this, Jesus, knowing all, was now finished. Right? So this three-hour period had, had lapsed. This, the light starts to come back. The calm had kind of settled in. Jesus is still there in this embarrassing, kind of humiliated posture. And he had endured the cross. He knows that it's coming to the end. He's accomplished what he has accomplished. And he says this simple statement, I thirst. I'm thirsty. You know, you ever done something really physically demanded, demanding or really difficult, really hard, and you get to the end of it and you're just like, man, I'm, I'm thirsty. I thirst. It's almost an understatement, right, of, of Jesus after enduring all of this. I thirst. They, they, you know, bring the sour wine to him. And after that he says, it is, it is finished. Luke twenty three forty five, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So as we pick up our passage, the curtain was torn uh, in two. So real quick to that, the curtain was the dividing wall between the Holy of Holies and, and the rest of the temple. Right? The high priest could only enter there once a year. By tearing the temple, God declared that the old way of animal sacrifice Everything having to do with the temple, these religious leaders and their system was now obsolete. That Jesus was providing access to God as the perfect Passover lamb. Amen? So God t- actually tears this, this, this curtain, this veil. Uh, I don't know all of the details. I didn't do look it up, but it was supposed, supposedly really thick. This is not just something like somebody pulled a, a string, you know, and, and then all of a sudden. No, this, this was a divine act. That really probably couldn't have been understood by them in, in any other way. In Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. 10, 19 through 23 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith. Pretty awesome passage. I didn't have that up there. It's kind of some technical language in Hebrews. Um, so much of Hebrews talks about Jesus being our high priest and, and many other aspects of this. But it says that um, he has opened a way, you know, a death once for all. He is the curtain through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Jesus, through his death, he gives us access to the Father and the presence of God. So some, those are some of the events, some of the circumstances. If you look at the context and the history and the background as we get to this, this main passage for this morning. So after this had happened, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
again, very possibly trying to direct his listeners to the scriptures that foretold of him. Uh, many of his, uh, you know, the, the Jewish people in the audience, they would have quickly thought of Psalm 31.5. I didn't know this until I was preparing for, for this message. Um, but in Psalm 31.5, David is crying out. He says, for you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you heard me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. And then David says, you have redeemed me, O Lord, O faithful God. See, Jesus didn't include the last part, right? Because he didn't need to be redeemed, but through the cross, he is our redeemer. Um, I, it, 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 some of the stuff I had been reading, it said that this uh, verse was actually a prayer that mom would do with their, mothers would do with their children before they put them to bed. Um, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Kind of makes you think uh, of the, the, child's, the children's prayer, the old children's prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Some of you know that, that prayer for that. He's saying... Um, Lord, into your, Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. Um, this is really a posture that Jesus has of surrender. And the main takeaway that I want to emphasize this morning, uh, and, and hopefully we'll be able to expound on it a little bit more in the time that we have, is that Jesus lived his life in a posture of surrender to his heavenly Father. He, he was always in a place of saying, Lord, your will be done, not, not my will be done. And it wasn't just at the cross. We see it culminating here at the end of his life. Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was fully trusting, fully depending on his um, loving father to, to receive him at death. But that's also the way that he lived his whole life. We think of this idea, you know, into, into whose hands was he committing his spirit? Um. I don't know about you guys. Have you ever had something really valuable that you had to entrust to somebody else, either indefinitely or for a short period of time? Any parents in here, the first time you gave your 16-year-old your car keys, you're now entrusting these keys into their very irresponsible hands and saying, oh, goodness, oh, gracious. Us telling Katie, I remember when we had Zoe, our daughter, my favorite child, just kidding, don't, don't. Uh, she, she, she's... You know, when she was a newborn, uh, Caleb, I think, was two and a half, maybe, two and a half, three, almost three. And he was like, Mama, please, I want to hold the baby. And so we entrusted our daughter into Caleb's two and a half year old hands. Better believe we were like right there, you know, waiting for him to, to drop her. I actually have the cutest video I should have, I should have had to show of him uh, singing rock, you know, in his own words. And he goes and kisses her. It's the cutest thing ever. But, man, he could have very easily dropped her. Or, or like, like football body slammed her, you know, uh, which he's done now that she's bigger. So, so we know what it's like the anxiety to entrust something valuable to, that you have into hands that you're not really sure if, these, if this is re- reliable. Does that make sense? That is, the op- that is not the situation that Jesus is in. The Bible says, what shall it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose their soul? Our soul, our spirit, our life is the most valuable thing that we have. And we oftentimes fear death because of the uncertainty of what will happen with our life on the other side. But Jesus 
knowing the Father, had full confidence that he could entrust his spirit, his life, into the hands of his loving Father. Because he knew that his Father was sovereign, that his Father was good, that he was trustworthy, that he was merciful, that he would receive his life appropriately, would tenderly would care for it, that he was going back into the presence of his sovereign, all-powerful, loving Father. Amen? Do you see that? Jesus had no reservation, like I do handing my newborn to my son. Jesus had no reservation handing his life to his Father because he knew the strength of his Father. And we're supposed to have kind of a childlike faith, right? My kids, you know, we, we built a I uh, just finished a little bit of a, of a sabbatical with FCA. Every five years, they're encouraging our F, FCA staff to take a, a month, and I had a month. So Kay's parents were in town, and we had time with our kids, and we built a, a, a tree fort in the backyard. It has a little, like, hidden door and everything. It's, it's awesome. You don't know about that, though, because not everybody's allowed to know about the hidden door. Anyways, um, but we have this tree fort. We just got the slide for it, and Zoe was up there, you know, on the step, and I kind of put on my arms, and she just just jumps. You know, just full on. It was like, oh, wait, I wasn't ready. And I, you know, catch her. You know, they, there's this childlike faith. There's no reservation to entrust themselves into their, their father's arms, right? Jesus entrusts his life into his father's arms. God the Father is sovereign and he is good. He's all powerful. He is merciful. Jesus is entrusting his tired soul into the hands of his loving father. In this way, he sets an example for how we should treat death as well. The Father's hands are the hands of providence, the hands of mercy. Um, this idea of committing, uh, it's the paratithami is the word in Greek. It's to entrust, to commit to one's charge, entrust to put something into someone's care for, or protection. So it reveals to us about the character of the Father, that he is worthy of surrender, and the character of Jesus, that he chooses to surrender fully to his Father. I got to observe something really amazing and, and, and hard and, and profound this past um, year with the passing of my mom. About six and a half months ago, my mom went to be with the Lord. And uh, just an amazing woman of faith, a simple faith, childlike faith, really in many ways. Uh, she loved Jesus. She was a prayer warrior and, uh, and just a wonderful mom. And she was battling cancer, uterine cancer that spread to her back and into her brain, had, had some seizures, different stuff. We had about eight and a half, uh, eight months to a year with her uh, after the, the, you know, it was starting to take over. We'd go visit her regularly and call regularly and just go and, and spend time with her. And she would always ask me to read her book. She had, she had this, this really sweet book. My mom's favorite psalm was Psalm 23 about the, is that right? Psalm 23, yeah, about the, the shepherd, um, good shepherd. And she just trusted the Lord. She, I, I could my mom was funny when we were growing up. We would laugh about different things. But she got extra funny in older age. And even more funny as she was battling this cancer. I, it was like, we, it was either laugh or cry. And my mom just had this, she didn't fear death. She just trusted the Lord. I'm, I'm sure she had fear. She was dealing with pain, right? But she, she trusted the Lord. She knew where she was going. And it was really interesting to spend time with her and to read and to talk. And her concern was more for others and other things. But then... It, and it's really something I'd really never probably experienced before like this. Um, we, my mom was getting worse, and she was on this, you know medication, and eventually got to this point where she's kind of in an incoherent space. She, uh, she was she was on hospice, and we would go and, and sit with her and hold her hand, and I would I would talk to her. You know I'm kind of pouring out my heart, 
not really sure if she can, can hear. They say that your hearing is actually gets improved near death. Um, and so she couldn't, couldn't really respond, but I would say things. And I remember apologizing to her about something. I hadn't called her back, you know, that recent, more recently. And I was, Mom, I'm so sorry. You know, I should have called you back right away. And, and, uh, and I just heard she started kind of grunting, you know, like, oh, no, like wanting, it felt like to tell me it's okay. It's, it's okay. You know, you know, don't feel bad, you know. Um, and then, so I could just sense that, that she was aware of what was happening. And on her, the last uh, day of her life, we ended up having a worship service at the house. There was about 20 people there, and we were singing her favorite songs and praying, uh, some of her favorite, reading some of her favorite scriptures. And we were in the living room. The door was open to the bedroom, and she was there. And, and we just had this, this time of prayer and worship and, and just singing. And a, a friend who was a nurse was actually in the room, and, and some of the family had just stepped out. And she's like, I think the family should go back in, you know, this terminal breathing. And the family goes in, and right after we had finished this worship service, and that right as the family, I think my wife and I were the last ones to step in the room, my mom went to be with the Lord. It was the most just, just kind of surreal moment. And we all uh, hugged each other, embraced each other, cried, you know. And it was, I was just, I was overwhelmed with a sense of the presence of God. And the sense that my mom was there kind of observing, you know, you hear these stories on near-death experiences and different stuff, that my mom was observing this worship service, that she was worshiping with us, and then she just committed her spirit into the Lord's hands, and she went to be with him. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was moving, and um, it gave me hope. You know, we, we, we believe, uh, right, things, Christians, we believe some crazy things. We're about to celebrate a resurrection next week. You know, it's a, it's a big deal. Science, where you at? Um, right? Like God breaks the laws of science in these miraculous things that he performs. So we believe in faith and sometimes we doubt. And I got to tell you in that moment, I was, I was deeply moved with just the sense of the realness and the awe of the presence of God. And we'll see that in some of the responses of these people as they see how Jesus handled his suffering in the face of all these accusers, how he handled, handed his spirit over to the Lord. They were so moved by what they witnessed that day. So I got to get through the rest here. Um, okay, real quick thing. So in 2346, having said this, he breathed his last. So important, the Romans did not overpower Jesus. The Pharisees didn't kill Jesus. Jesus could have rescued himself at any point. Rather, Jesus gave up his spirit. His life was not taken from him. He gave it up. Does that make sense? As we see in, in John 17, or 10, 17 through 18, I think I have that as a slide. It says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So did, did Jesus endure the physical suffering on the cross? Yes. Could his body physically die because of these circumstances and, you know, asphyxiation, all that stuff, yes. But we see here that Jesus gave up his spirit of his own accord, of his own will. Possibly, again, to fulfill prophecy, because the Bible prophesied that the Messiah's bones would never be broken. And if he had stayed up there a little bit longer, past Sabbath, they would have come and broke his bones so that he would have passed. Uh, and, and because, and it says, actually, Pilate, when, he, when they found out that Jesus was dead, he was surprised that he had died so soon. Again, they tried to prolong uh, the, the suffering on the cross. You can live actually for a while and eventually you get so weak that you can't hold yourself up. So they break the legs so that they can't 
keep pushing themselves up to get air. Does that make sense? And so Jesus, though, his bones were never broken. He gave up his spirit of his own accord after finishing what he was sent to finish, enduring, you know, the wrath of God that was poured out on him, enduring the suffering that he was intended to serve, fully um, obeying the law of God to accomplish a righteousness for us that we couldn't for ourselves. It was, it is finished. He gave up his spirit of his own, of his own will. And then now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. He had the right response, didn't he? He praised God. He was just going about his day, doing his job as a, a military guy. He had witnessed a lot of this kind of stuff, but this day was different. It started out kind of normal, but then this darkness came over the land that was, that was clearly uh, not just a natural phenomenon. It was something supernatural that made everybody have to stop their day and go, what is going on? There's an earthquake and so on. And then those who were close to Jesus seeing him in response to these events and saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He says, this man was innocent. Um, another, in Matthew 27, 54, it says, truly this man was the son of God, some of them said. And then all of the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. I can imagine, I've been thinking about this passage as I've been going over it from the perspective of the person who might have been someone who was waiting for the Messiah and was there when Lazarus was raised at Bethany and just thought, this is it. He's the Messiah. And then they see him being mocked and ridiculed and they said, I don't want my Messiah to be mocked. I want my, my Messiah to be victorious, to be strong, to be a warrior like David, in the line of, of, coming from the line of David. And so then they just... Gave up on Jesus. Ah, no, maybe he's not. Who knows what happened with Lazarus? And then they turn and they, they reject him. And they, they yell, crucify him. And then they go to see what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden the darkness comes over the land. They feel like the presence of God again. And they see how Jesus responds to these events. And they go, oh my gosh, maybe he, maybe he is the Messiah. Like, what is going on? I'm so confused. You can imagine they're like ups and downs of emotions throughout the course of of this time. So some of them made a suffering regret, fear, just this crazy turn of events. And they, they returned, it says, all the crowd assembled for the spectacle. They saw what had taken place. They returned home beating their breasts. Some of them, the Pharisees, they might have been, you know, continued in just defiance. You've ever taken a stance on something and even though you know you're wrong and all the evidence is pointing against you and your pride and arrogance, you just kind of stick with it anyways. <laughs> that's, that's probably what was happening to many of the religious leaders. Um, and then it says in all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood from a distance watching these things. So just real quick, a couple important uh, takeaways. Um, my father-in-law was talking with him. He, he was help me with some of this, but this idea that Jesus' death is the death of the saint. Uh, in Psalms 116, 15, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. When a Christian dies, their death is precious to the Lord. He receives our spirit, their spirit, just as we received, as he received Christ's spirit. That can be a comfort to us. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, but we're not so I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to be with myself. And there, I will, uh, and there you may be also. So Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. You don't have to fear 
what is coming next. Jesus' death removes the fear of death. In uh, Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, and that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So many people live in paralyzing fear of, of death. Is that true? To, is that fair to say? People are afraid to die. So much of our world has tried to reverse aging and everything else. We're afraid of death. And through Jesus, we see what he did on the cross. Jesus' death removes the fear of death. For to me, is live as Christ, to die as gain, Paul says. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. Yet, I, yet, which I shall, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ for what is far better. It doesn't mean we may not have fear of dying. You know, there's, you know, how we might die, the pain, the suffering, all that kind of stuff. But we don't have to fear, for those who are in Jesus, where we are going. We can trust him with our spirit, with our soul. And Jesus, ultimately, he defeated death. 2 Timothy 1.10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So to wrap it up, to summarize as we, we transition and get ready to, to close, I want to challenge us just with this example that we see in Jesus. He lived, uh, when he gave up his spirit, he was in a posture of complete and full surrender to his father. You see that? Does that, does that make sense? Do we... He, he had this position of just saying, God, I trust you. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. But not only is that how he died, that's how he lived his whole life like we had talked about. And for us as, as followers of Jesus, we should be challenged to think the same way, to live the same way. To fully trust the Lord with our life. And not just our death, but every area of our life. The way that we live, the way that we work, and our families. That we say, Lord, Help me to follow you every day. We're called to put to death, right, the deeds of the flesh and live in the spirit. Paul, in Romans 12, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, and we're called to live our life as a living sacrifice, an example of him. We're following his example. So have you entrusted, have you committed your soul, your life, into Jesus' hands? Have you put your trust fully in Jesus? If you haven't, if you're here checking this out, you can do that this morning. You can say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I trust in you, Jesus, and what you did on the cross. Receive my life. Forgive me. Help me to follow you. But if you have, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are uh, living as a person of faith, as a Christian, then we have to ask that question, are we living our lives as a daily sacrifice? I, I, I got to be honest, I don't always. Uh, There's a lot of times where I'm living more for myself or selfishly or caught up with the distractions of this world or goals or whatever else. But we have to be reminded to come back to say, Lord, help me to live and surrender to you. May your will be done, not my will. To trust that what God has for us is truly best. This morning, uh, we invite you to surrender, to commit, to entrust your life into God's hands, knowing that you can do so with hope and with confidence and with trust, that there is nowhere better, nowhere better to place your life, no better hands to entrust your soul. 
we too can trust our lives into the sovereign and merciful hands of our Heavenly Father, of our loving Savior. Amen? I'm going to invite Dan to come back. Okay, you're right there. He's going to come back up and... Um, we're going to pray. I want to pray for you guys. Hopefully you're encouraged by this as we see Jesus. You know, we've been going through this series and we see Jesus as it culminates here, um, giving his life into his father's hands. And a uh, little bit of a spoiler, but next, next week he comes back to life. That's good. That's really important. He's victorious over death. Um, so many significant ramifications of the resurrection. So make sure you're here for that. Invite friends to be a part of it. But we're going to go ahead and, and pray. I think we have uh, communion, the elements that are be up in the front. And so as we're uh, worshiping and prayer, we invite you to come up. You know, Jesus was there with his disciples in the Last Supper. And he says, you know, this is my body, which was broken for you. And, and really, in this passage and, and through this series, we see how Jesus' body truly was broken. Not just the physical pain, but also enduring the punishment for sin that 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 we deserve. And he defeated death. His blood was shed, was poured out for us to wash us from sin so that we can have the hope of eternal life. We invite you to to trust the Lord this morning and participate and partake. Lord, we just worship you and we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for this series. We thank you for this time of year and this this, uh, season of, of Lent and the Passion Week. Yeah, Palm Sunday, Lord. We anticipate Easter. We just remember you and help us to reorient our lives, Lord, around you. That we would have a posture of surrender to our Heavenly Father. That daily, Lord, we would say, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I commit my life. I commit my work. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being with us today. In Jesus' name.